Good evening. So this will be uh, something new and different uh, for all of you. I appreciate uh, the visitors tonight. Um, lady got straight to it. I told her that I was a fill-in for my son. She said, your credentials are? <laughs> and um, I love the Lord. I'm God's child. And those are my, my credentials. Um, and so I, I appreciate this opportunity. I'm going to do this sort of in the form of a sermon tonight, more than a class. Um, this, uh, what I want to speak about, is, is kind of born out a little bit out of personal experience. I think as we go through life, we tend to come across periods where we deal with a lot of fear. Fear in relationships, fear in health, fear in finances, fear in different things in our lives. And I went through that um, during the big economic downturn a few years ago. I'm in an entrepreneurial type business and um, you can wind up, up upside down really, really fast. And I'm sure people in this room uh, wound up maybe some of you out of jobs. You wound up in a lot of different circumstances. Um, and so you can understand that. But as we travel through life, we have all kinds of issues that arise. I remember when we were very, very young and our second child, our daughter, was born and she was uh, whisked away to the NICU for several weeks and it was unclear initially what was wrong and then whether or not she would you know, make it and then as we went forward in time it was clear she would make it but then what would come from all of that and how would that unfold and, and so there are fears that we naturally deal with in life and so Tonight, what I'd like to do is, is speak on the topic of having the Spirit of Christ. And before we begin, let's, let's ask the Lord's guidance in, in what's said tonight and what we hear. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and care for us. Lord, we thank you for your constancy, your unchanging nature, your consistency, and your your peace that you provide that passes all understanding. Lord, as we look into your word tonight, I pray that you would apply uh, your word to each of our lives, each of our hearts, in a way that would be helpful, in a way that uh, we can uh, go away from here uh, more in encouraged in our Christian lives, uh, and, and Lord, live in, in reflecting your spirit as we heard this morning in Christ's likeness. I just pray you'd uh, help us to understand your word and help us to uh, ingest it and let it change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like you to start tonight, if you would please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read here and then I'm going to pick one particular verse to focuses on tonight. It was during that time in 2008 and 9 that the Lord really gave this passage to me as something that um, spoke to me because I realized that I was responding wrongly to what was a, a difficult time. And um, 
sometimes, you know, those are things that, that we need and certainly very helpful. So the background here is this Timothy is a relative young man. He has been mentored by the Apostle Paul. He has been taught by Paul. He's been, he's been with Paul, and now he's gone off to lead his own congregation. Uh, the Bible talks about him being young, so I don't know how young he was. It doesn't tell us, but he was young. And um, there were no doubt people that didn't like the way the young guy did it, um, didn't know where the young guy's authority was coming from, um, had issues with the young guy. And I think also Timothy had run into some hard things, maybe where he was, because he was having some doubts, and he was struggling a little bit. So we get here, and I'm just going to start reading in uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, and for the moment we'll read down through verse 7. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Where I, wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee, by the putting on of my hands. And here's our sort of text verse for tonight. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. First of all, um, if we have a spirit of fear, we know that that's not from God. Uh, when we're, it's not that we don't get surprised or have tough things that happen and, and frighten us, but our spirit should not be of fear. There are some things here that we can know. That, that spirit of fear is not coming from God. It might be fear of circumstances, fear in relationships, fear in the future, fear in society, fear in health. And you could make your own list that's much longer. But fear, a spirit of fear, operating our lives in a spirit of fear is not of God. That we can see here. And then we have these three words on the other side of the equation of the spirit we should have. And I find these words just fascinating to put together in the same bucket at the same time. But it's a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Sometimes we would think of power and love as being almost mutually exclusive and pushing away from one another. But God puts them together and says, both are the spirit that we should have, a godly spirit. And so, if we move down here, let's look first at what is a spirit of power. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. 
Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So we'd have a sense here that Paul is in prison at this point in time, and Timothy's aware of it. I could imagine him thinking, is this really a good idea? Am I following a good path? My mentor's in prison. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So, Timothy, don't look at my power because, uh, my Paul, don't look at my power because I don't have any. I'm in prison. But consider instead the power of God and what he's done. One thing that is true, if we spend long enough with any person, people will fail us. People do fail us. We fail one another. As hard as we try, we fail one another. If you're married long enough, you'll see some failings. Um, if you don't date long enough, you won't see failings, and then you get married. I'm teasing. <laughs> but if you're married long enough, you're going to see some failings in people. They're going to let you down. You love your children. They'll let you down. You appreciate your family and your people around you but they will let you down. God will not let us down. And so we need to be focused on His power. Verse 9, Who has saved us, let's look at this power, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purposes and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, God has given this power, he says it's in Christ Jesus before the world began. And this points us to power, really, the power of the creator of the universe, the power of our Savior, the power to create an eternity for us, the power to forgive, the power to live life in this world perfectly and stand before God and say, consider my sacrifice covering Mark's sin and the sin of the world. A great power. And he saved us and he called us to a holy calling according to his purpose. It's not my purpose. It's his purpose. And that purpose existed, was given in Christ before the world began. You know, I think sometimes people struggle with, you know, I'm just not very important. You know, nobody really cares about me. God does. God had a plan for all of our lives from a time before the world began. He had a goal. Now, we may or may not live out God's plan, God's wish for our, for our life, but we can. We may or may not accept Christ. We may or may not live in the power of what Christ has done. But we can. We have that opportunity. He has a will for our lives. And it's for us to find that will. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. In verse 10 it says, But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. So this is focused now on Christ's earthly ministry. 
that through that earthly ministry, that makes him able to be the mediator between God and man. He was tempted, the Bible says, in all points, like as we are yet, without sin. And so that gave Christ the right to do it. He doesn't just sit there on high and look at the little ants down here. No, no, no. He came, he lived, and as Josh spoke this morning, he, he lived, he took people where they were, the farmers, the fishermen, and the people in high positions as well. Actually, at that time, of course, the Roman Empire was very powerful. So the entire land of Israel was under Rome's rule and paying tribute to Rome. So he was kind of hanging out with, in many cases, the low people in a society that was under tribute to another society. He wasn't high, he wasn't mighty in, that, in a worldly sense, and yet this power that he had from God was the power to rewrite the whole future of mankind through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And I want us to have a sense of that power because that power, we'll see here in a moment, is, is available to us. Our power is in Christ. Our power isn't in what I do and I go out and I work and I, I struggle. I, I should go work. I mean, the Bible tells me to work and to care for those who God's entrusted into my care to care for and to be concerned about others who are less fortunate. Christ said, you'll always have the poor with you. So the poor aren't a problem. The poor are an opportunity for God's people to care about them. But we're to do what God has given us to do in his power. And then in verse 11, For that which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So not only did God have power at that time to save us, to regenerate us, to the, the creating power and everything else, but also what he's committed, what he said he would do, the promise he gave, he will keep it into and through eternity. Unto him against that day, that future day. I don't have to worry that, you know, Christ is going to return and, and miss me. I don't have, that's not my worry. God's not going to miss anybody. Anybody that's accepted him as their Savior, they'll be fine. I don't have to worry about it. So the spirit of power brings about a great confidence in God. Not in myself, but in God. We have his power through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. So as we think about power... We want to think about power in this verse, in verse 7, the spirit of power. We want to think about power as the power of God working through me, projecting into the world around me that I have. Then we get to this spirit of love. And of course, this love is just as the spirit of power is the power of Christ, the love is the love of Christ. I'd like us to go back now to the book of John. Chapter 15, there are a lot of verses we could go to here. But I want to talk about this because this is the passage that probably most of us know or have heard along the way of the vine and the branches and abiding in Christ. And 
And I want this be, to, to use this because I want us to understand this infusion, this merging of our life as saved people into the Lord and His love. So let's, let's start here in verse 9 of chapter 15 of the book of John. As the Father hath loved me, there's our word, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So, again, this is Christ's love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. So, love isn't just a mystical feeling, a warm thing. Keeping my commandment, keeping Christ's commandments, I demonstrate my love. So, it's... There's an activity here. Even as, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So Christ said, I came with a purpose. My purpose was to die to pay the sins of all mankind on the cross. And remember what He said when He was in the garden? He prayed and He said, Lord, not my will, but Thine be done. But, but let the, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Because it was a horrible, horrible thing that was coming His way. And he knew it. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he was modeling there what he's saying now to us, that we keep his commandments because we love him and because we want the love of Christ to flow to others around us and those that we touch. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain and you that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. There you there's that same idea again um, to, to challenge us. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. In other words, what he's, what he's saying there at the end of that verse is, the things that you need to know to please God, I've told you. There isn't some secret. I, anybody ever in junior high school or grade school, you know, somebody had a little secret set of code words they used and you kind of figured it out after a while and realized you were not in the group. The Lord doesn't work like that. The Lord has given us everything we need to know in His Word. He's not hiding something from us. There's not some other shoe to drop. But He's given us all that we need to know. Why? Because He loves us. And he's told us how to love Him and demonstrate our love in return. And so, the spirit of love is the love of Christ. And it's us reflecting that love through us and out into the world around us. I'm going to back up now to verse 5 and just read, picking up there. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. 
If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So Lord here is, with this beautiful word picture, this sense of abiding, being grafted in. If you think about a vine, this would be a grapevine in the thinking of the people there. You've got the stem, the stem goes into the ground, the stem gathers the water, the stem gathers the minerals, the stem gathers all that. The branches gather the light, the branches hold the grapes, the fruit, the branches nourish the stem, the stem nourishes the branches, they work together. And it's so interesting, the Lord has chosen that way of working with us. The Lord saves us. The Lord pays the price for our salvation. The Lord gives us the power to be saved, as was, I think was mentioned this morning. But He's chosen to use us in this abiding sense with Him to do His work in the world. He gave us something important to do before the world began. I, was, uh, I had one of our senior people in, in our firm. He sent a note, just happened to come in this afternoon and I I looked at it and it was you know worrying over where we are in the economic cycle because that has a giant impact on what decisions we make and how we manage other people's money and so it, it's important but it was kind of a giant worry word note and I thought how ironic I'm studying this stuff <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I went through it and I read it and I just felt kind of compelled to write sort of a long long note back and and I got down to the end and um, he's a he's a believer I got down to the end and I said you know we don't know what's going to happen this was my perspective but I said all this stuff it makes it clear again how much it pales in comparison to the work we do for the kingdom of God because that's clear the outcomes there are clear the, what what's supposed to happen there is clear what God wants of us is clear. There, there is no secret. There's no, there's no surprise in that. And so, and as the Lord told us back here in, in verse 7, you know, he, He's told us what spirit He wants us to have. I won't ask you to turn there, but in the, inside the Lord's Prayer, in, and you could look at this in other places than Matthew, but in Matthew's 613b, the latter part of the verse, it says, For thine is the kingdom and the power, there's our word, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen means so be it, it's settled. That's great power to have on our side. And that's the spirit of power we should have. And then we have the spirit of love. Abiding in Christ, nourishing us, helping us, guiding us, sustaining us. He loves us. He loved us. He paid for our sin. He died for our sin. He gave himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. So now we get to that third one, the sound mind. There are a lot of things we could say about this. This one, I think, is 
a little more difficult in some respects, but I'll just say this about it. I have friends, people I've known over the years who, who don't know the Lord, and they sort of compartmentalize faith and they make it this mystical thing that kind of hangs out over here and they think of it as not in the realm of reason, not in the realm of rationality, but in its own sort of mystical realm. And probably they're being nice and just think I'm, I have a screw loose, which is fine. But a sound mind, like these others, is having the mind of Christ. And what's so interesting, this is one of my favorite studies. I've got two or three or four favorite studies that I've had in my life in, in God's Word. And one of those is to actually take the word mind or thoughts or anything having to do with thinking and study that vein because our belief is beyond rational it's completely rational our if our faith isn't rooted then it's kind of flimsy but the lord wants it to be rooted that's why we study the bible that's why we study doctrine that's why we study what's in it I was talking with someone um, not too long ago who asked me, and I'm, I'm smiling here because they're here. So, but they they asked me, "Well, is there a kind of a Cliff's Notes version of how I could just sort of get this and understand it?" I said, "Oh no, the Bible is not like that. It's a lifelong experience. It's not a Cliff Notes. It's not a checkbox. It's not a." not something that just happens in a moment. It's like, okay, got that, move on down the road. I honestly think that's been one of the great problems in the church at large. That people check a box, got their church thing done, and they move on down the road and figure they're good. People have actually, you know, I think rightfully looked at church-going people as hypocrites sometimes because they check a church box, but it doesn't change who they are and how they live, and they just go on down the road. And if that's our case, then guilty as charged. That's, that's unfortunately true. And so we, and we've all been there. I'm not, you know, picking on anybody um, other than myself. But I think that so many times we don't operate with a sound mind, and we don't operate with a sound mind because we don't know the mind of Christ because we haven't read it and studied it. But it's here. He's given it to us. It's available. So in verse 13, I'm going to go back now to um, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We see this word sound. It's used in a slightly different way, but it still is on the point. Hold fast, he says, uh, chapter 1, verse 13 of 2 Timothy. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Sound words don't come from unsound minds. So we're, we're holding fast. He's encouraging Timothy here to hold fast to these sound words. Sound, and if, if you're not used to this use of the term, sound means solid means dependable. If I go over to, uh, 
you know, to a foundation of a house and I kick it with my toe and it crumbles, that's not sound. If I go to, you know, stand on a roof, like Brad did this week, and it's slippery, and my, shoot, my feet shoot out from under me and I land on that roof and hurt myself, and I don't know this last part, I'm making this one up, so I don't know, but if there's a dent back there in the roof, I would say the roof might not have been quite sound, okay? So the idea of sound a sound mind is one that's solid, that's established, that's not getting knocked all over the place, not changing with every wind that blows by. And the Bible talks a lot about that. So let's look at some of those in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're just, just warm your Bible up a little bit. We're going to turn a few, few spots here now. And I think it's up there as well. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 through 16, these are exhortations to this church in Ephesus to holiness. And it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect, that could also be translated accurately, complete man, complete in Christ, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So this is talking about a church that's organize well, that everybody's working together well, they have different roles, they have different activities, but this is a sound church. It's an exhortation to a sound church because we see here, not blown about by every wind of doctrine and the craftiness and the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It's amazing to me, the Word of God and I was talking with somebody just before church about this a little bit, but it actually touches, people don't realize this, it actually touches essentially every issue that arises in life. We have a choice to make about whether or not we want to learn from it or accept it, but it actually touches it. Every big issue that's out there on the horizon in our society today that's constantly being talked about and pushed Every big issue, the Bible touches on. Sometimes in very detailed and specific ways, sometimes in a much lighter, less specific way. And, and, and I also believe that if the Lord spends a lot of time being very specific on it, then I need to sort of focus and be specific on it. If the Lord spends a little time on it and less vague, then in my priority set, 
in the way I organize my life and my mind and what I think about, then if the Lord makes it a lighter priority, I probably need to make it a little lighter priority. It's very helpful to not get pulled off into all sorts of distractions here and there in different, part, different directions in our life because somebody says, well, you need to care about this. This is a crisis. Well, wait. If the Lord sees it as a critical item in his economy of reconciling mankind back to himself, that's important. I need, I, I, that's, that's something I really need to spend time on. But if the Lord looks at it lightly, in fact, he says, bodily exercise profiteth little. He doesn't say not to exercise. He's just saying, don't worship that. Don't go crazy there. Take care of the body I've given you, but don't go crazy. Okay? There's an example of where he touches something lightly. But when it comes to other issues that have to do with um, you know, the church and the home and our salvation, the Lord is really, really, really clear. When it comes to the issues of life and the sanctity of life and who made life, the Bible's really, really, really clear. So we want to know God's mind so that we can have a sound mind. Okay. James chapter 1. Just want to look at a few other passages and we'll be done. He is so fast. See, I've never done this with the, the uh, screen before, Josh, and you, you mentioned that this morning. So I'll tell you a trick. As you get older, figure out who can do all that stuff better than you. And call them, be very nice to them, and ask them if they could help. It's amazing what you can get done. It's called delegation. So, Anne-Marie says, I'm the master delegator. Oh, well. So, I'm going to read it here rather than flip back and forth. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. This is talking about prayer. I need to know what I'm asking for, and when I ask, I need to ask without a doubt in my mind about what I'm asking for. If I'm asking for somebody's salvation, that's God's will. He's, he's clear about that. It's the will of God that all men everywhere would repent. Boom, straight out of the Bible. Okay, So I don't need to question, I don't need to waver in my prayer about salvation. But... There are other things that we would consider incredibly important that the Lord may be less clear on. We'll see one of those here in a second. Let's look at um, Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. These are some verses I came across in college, and they've been impactful to my life. And they, I've turned this into one of my key prayers. This is a, this is a scripture that I pray constantly. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient or appropriate for me. 
Lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. The big idea here is that God knows me better than I know me. God knows what I can stand. He knows that if He blesses me beyond what I can stand, I might forget Him and think it was about me. And He knows if He makes my way hard to a certain point, beyond a certain point, I may crack and deny God and say, Who's God? And I may fall that direction. And so this prayer is a wonderful prayer because it's just saying, Lord, you know me better than I know me. Give me what's appropriate for me. Whatever you deem, Lord, to be appropriate for me, that's what I want for me. It doesn't matter what somebody else has over here or over here or what I think I might want. Lord, help me to have in my life, in my associations, in my involvement, in my society, help me to have what you want me to have so that I can be most used of you. I just believe this is one of the most important prayers that a person can pull into their life and use it all the way through life. Because we can't see tomorrow, but he can. We can't see next week, we can't see next year. We can't see what's going on in the heart next to us or the person that we meet at a counter somewhere. But the Lord knows. And so this is just such a powerful, wonderful prayer. And then Proverbs 27, 1 is similar. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And then very closely connected to that, we'll move on back to James chapter 4. Again, since I'm in a commercial life, I am in business, I find this incredibly helpful. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into a such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Go ahead and... Sorry, I'm reading with you. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is vain. And we, we say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this other thing. But the Lord says, all that rejoicing is vain. All that saying, I'm going to do this, and look what I did, and holding up my banner and waving my, my sign. The Lord says, all that stuff's vain. We need to be in His will. And then we can say, we can, we can be moving in a direction of having what this Scripture in 2 Timothy is talking about, of having a sound mind. The Bible tells us elsewhere to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on. I would say the same applies here. Let the mind of Christ be in us and rule in our lives. Let us cast off the spirit of fear and reflect Christ and His image, as you talked this morning, in our spirit. 
that we'd have the spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you tonight for all that you've done for us. I pray you'd take these words, apply them in our lives, help us to be uh, honorable servants of yours. Lord, I pray that uh, you might help us to grow in, in our faith and in our Christianity and our uh, lives and how we interface with the world around us. Lord, deepen our personal relationships. No matter where we are today in our relationship with you, Lord, help us to go forward and have a heart to make that relationship deeper and to know you better and more intimately. We thank you for your blessings to us. In Jesus' name, amen.